Hey, what's up, everybody? It's the Spectacular Spider-Man, and you're listening to Spectacular Radio. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Not sure who this Josh Keaton guy is, though. Ladies and gentlemen, the Spectacular Spider-Man! Just the jackpot. Otto Optimus was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus. From, From now on, we are poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. We're Venom! The Green Goblin doesn't take orders from insects. The Green Goblin swaps them into oblivion. It's a conspiracy, I tell you. They're all working together. To raise my blood pressure! Tell me there's something better. Go ahead. Try. Welcome back to the Spectacular Radio. I am Zach Joyner, the webmaster of Spidey-Dude.com that powers this very podcast. And now, as always, I'm joined by Greg, who will introduce our panel. Well, I'm being joined by my co-host, Zach, and we're being joined again by Kristen Abrams. Thank you. Hi, guys. And... And joining us again is Greg Wiseman, the supervising producer and story editor of The Spectacular Spider-Man. Hi. And uh, I'm very pleased that we are being joined by a man who needs no introduction, but we're going to give it to him anyway, The Spectacular Spider-Man himself, Mr. Josh Keaton. Howdy. Uh, I, so we're here I think to... given the fact that it's audio, he kind of did need an introduction. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been funnier without, and just, he's just a random guy. <laughs> We just and talking. here's our guest. And then I just start talking. <laughs> well, yeah, see if anyone can figure out it's you. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a giveaway. It's kind of a giveaway that we're doing a Spider-Man podcast of talking about a specific Spider-Man episode. But yeah, if uh, if we if we could just talk about like I don't know washing machines, and and then and then nobody would hey, ever know. Hey, you never know. Hey, wait, ladies and gentlemen, return of Vanessa Marshall. <laughs> wait, where? <laughs> nah, she's already she's already done the podcast. Oh, okay, I, I thought that was my introduction, and I was like, "This is kind of weird." <laughs> well, I'm redhead enough for you guys, so there we go. <laughs> Sweet, I'll take it. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, we're here to discuss episode twelve intervention, and uh, but before we do that, Josh, um, we all we often ask our new guests this: um, What's your superhero origin? How did you become a voice actor? Did you get bitten by a radioactive Chuck Jones? No, it's actually a lot more boring. Um, I I started out as a uh, as a child actor, um, and basically there were some things that I would get sent out on by my agent that weren't on camera things; they were voiceover things. Um, and so I had my feet wet very early on, but I didn't do a ton of stuff back then because that. Back then is is uh, I'm totally rambling here, but uh, when I was when you're really young, when you're a child actor, at least at this time of uh, history, um, they used mostly adults to do kids' voices, and that still kind of is a trend that happens now. But I mean, it's it, there's a lot more. There are a lot more shows that use um, actual kids as their voices now, so there's there's more opportunity for that. But that's pretty much how I got started. I was just a child actor and. Um, voiceover was one of the things that I did, uh, in addition to, you know, every other facet of, of, uh, the entertainment industry. You know, I, I was in a boy band when I was a teenager. I've done on camera TV and film and, and just a bu- bunch of things. So, um, it really just, the ball started rolling there. And then I'd say probably when I was like my, my early twenties, uh, I, I, I don't remember exactly when, like it was the, the, the writer's strike happened. And so like a lot of on camera parts kind of dried up for a little while, but at the same time I started getting a lot more, uh, VO roles and then that just kind of snowballed and here I am. I remember that writer's strike quite well. I think I was going to film school at the time. That was a uh, 2008 or so. That sounds about right. That was, that was actually right around the time I, I think we did Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah, it was. I actually went down to the studio a couple times while uh, the show was in production. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, so um, did you grow up a fan of Spider-Man? Absolutely. It was one of the uh, one of the only comics that I that I read pretty consistently. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I I, I loved Pete. I, I loved because well, I'm I've always been a geek my entire life, and I've always been into science and 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 all of that. So. Um, I, I really felt like I identified with him and especially just, you know, being picked on at school and all that, that, that was all true for me. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really saw a lot of myself in Spidey. And then also the fact that I didn't really have a lot of friends on campus, but I also had this whole separate other life as an actor. 
um, where I had a whole different group of friends and, and, uh, you know, I, I'd already, I'd always been pegged as like a, as like a dorker. I, I was, you know, really, really short growing up. I'm not really, I'm not tall now, but I was exceptionally short when I was in like middle school. And if you get pegged a certain way in middle school, then that just follows you all the way through high school. So I was, you know, the dorky kid, not popular. And, uh, that, that was how I was throughout high school. But, um, outside of that, I had a whole other group of friends that, that I didn't have that stigma with. So that was kind of like, you know, when, when my mask was on and, and I was being Spider-Man and then when I'd be back at school and I'm just plain old Pete. So that, uh, that pretty much was, was why I really liked Spidey growing up. Now describe your audition process from your perspective. Then I want Greg to jump in and talk about it from his perspective, how well, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. see if I can remember. Cause this was, I mean, I don't, it was, I don't only, know. It was only two days ago. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how many years ago, but, um, I mean, basically the way, the way it starts out is, is, um, I don't, you know what? I don't even know if I had a, a booth at home back then. I think, um, I think I was still going to my agents to audition for stuff. If, if I had any kind of recording technology, it was very rudimentary back then. Um, but either way, I either, recorded the audition at my agents or I recorded it here. Um, but it was, it was just a, it was a short audition, you know, some, I don't even think it was, was it scenes, Greg? Was it, was it a scene or was it just some, some like five or six lines? Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was a monologue and, and it pieces of it kind of went into one of the, uh, I think the first episode, um, you know, when, when Spidey's kind of doing his inner monologue stuff. So, okay, that's, that's exactly what it was. And so that was something that I recorded, sent away, got a call back to come back in and, uh, and get directed. And, uh, I think there were probably, probably two, two callbacks or like three total auditions. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, every time I would just get more excited and I'm like, come on, come on, I gotta get this. I gotta get this. Cause I'd already had like some, some experience playing Spidey. I'd played him in a video game before I, I was him in the show. Um, but as luck would have it, once they had already recorded all my audio, they ended up getting clearance to get Toby's audio from the movie. And so I got uh, demoted to, to Harry Osborn. And they put in like this hidden mode of play where if you beat the game, then you got to play as Harry Osborn in like the goblin suit. But it was really just another Spider-Man voice reskinned, I guess. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, I had already booked Spider-Man on something. So I was, when I went into the audition for this, I was like, okay, I got to get it. I got to get this one because, you know, I was Spidey before, not Spidey in the game, but, uh, you know, let's do this. And Greg? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I wrote up audition sides for a ridiculous quantity of characters because, uh, Marvel and, Sony and uh, Kids WB, they all wanted approval, not just of what we considered the four or five leads, but of so many of the recurring characters. Um, I'd never auditioned that quantity of characters before. And the Spidey audition was, I think, two pages long because we wanted to have a good chunk of Pete and a good chunk of Spidey um, in there whereas most of the auditions were single page. Um, and uh, Josh read, as well as a number of great people as well, um, and we did a call back. I remember that with uh, our voice director, Jamie Thomason, and myself uh, there, maybe Vic Cook as well. I can't remember if Vic was there or not. Um, and we narrowed it down to three or four people, but um, Jamie, Vic, and I were all, like, positive Josh was the guy. I mean, just really positive. And so we had this big meeting with all these executives from all these different companies where we were presenting our picks, but they had heard everybody, you know. And so I walked in the door really ready for a fight. Um, you know, fists up almost, I mean, Figuratively, obviously, not literally, but uh, just really mentally prepared to battle it out. Uh, and a uh, huge chip on my shoulder, I think. Um, and we got into this office, and um, Michael Vogel, who was our uh, executive in charge at uh, 
Sony said, okay, so who's your pick for uh, Spider-Man? And I was like, Josh Keaton, you know, and ready to like fight for that. And they were like, yeah, Josh was our pick too. Yeah, Josh. Yeah. We all like Josh. So, and it was one of these sort of sitcom moments where I'm like stumped. Like I'm so ready for a fight that I'm completely unprepared for everyone to agree. Um, <laughs> so there's this really long, awkward silence that follows everyone going, yeah, Josh, as I'm sort of like recalibrating my entire brain. Um, and, uh, and, and so, uh, I'm like, yeah, great, Josh. Okay. Ne next character. And it was actually like that on, on pretty much every character. I think there was one character. I got my second choice instead of my first, um, but also a really great, um, choice who turned out fantastic in the show and everything else we were, we just had this tremendous consensus, which I have never experienced in my career before or since. Um, and was truly, uh, by the end of it, I, I, I was like walking out of the meeting, like I was punch drunk. Like I had lost some kind of fight, only I'd won everything without <laughs> having to try or fight. Nice. Um, That's and hilarious. like Jamie and Vic and I went back to my office and, and I, I literally, I said, did that just happen? And they were like, yeah. And because it, it never goes that easy. I mean, never goes that easy. Um, but it did on this show. It really did. Sometimes things just click. I mean, and it, when I watch this show, I don't feel like I'm listening to voice actors portray these characters. I feel like I'm listening to these characters. I, I mean, I said this to Vanessa that she had her MJ voice was the voice I always had in my head without knowing what it was. And Josh, I feel the same way about your Spider-Man. Oh, thank you, man. Well, I, and uh, for my daughter, I mean, Josh is forever Spider-Man. I mean, she yes. hears his voice, and that's who she immediately associates. <laughs> I uh, Josh, I will I will be indoctrinating my daughter whenever she gets old enough. <laughs> so, Mine was sweet. too. What's your excuse? <laughs> my, well, mine's my, uh, now six hundred miles away. So okay, fair enough. Fair enough. My daughter already looks at uh, at Spider Man and just points and says, "Oh, Dada." Nice. For a while, she used to call she used to call it Dada Der Man. Aww. <laughs> yeah, Dada Der Man. <laughs> now I have a question, Josh. Is is your car still have the uh, poster? No, vinyl vinyl in California sunlight doesn't really uh, fare all that well. So after a while, it started to get really faded, and, and I just ended up having to take it off. And then I just got rid of that car, and I'll never buy another Mini again because they, uh, they consume so much oil that that thing went through two engines before it even hit 75,000 miles. And when it blew oh, the second wow. one, I was like, take the car. I don't want it. Just buy. <laughs> never, never again will I buy a Mini, ever. Oh. It sucks because it's a really fun car to drive, but uh, yeah, it was it was just an awful awful car. I remember when you uh, <laughs> on, on another on another podcast, they were like, "Yeah, I, I even have the Spider Mobile," and I'm like, "That is the most awesome thing in the world." <laughs> yeah. so I had to ask. It was fun. I mean, it had a big flat roof, like just big old square and and like a perfect rectangle. I'm like, this this needs a poster on it. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna put Spidey on it. I would. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was great while it lasted. I loved it. I'm surprised Greg didn't try to get a matching set. You know, whenever he was being producer, he could. Drive yeah, Greg was jump. slacking. Yeah. <laughs> My car had a cur had a curved roof. It just you know wouldn't have worked. So. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Chris, Grayson, jump in. Yes, I'm still here, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Kristen, tell uh, Josh the story about how Angel discovered the character. Oh, my goodness. Um, the way this happened was uh, Greg here actually bought her the Spectacular Spider-Man DVD set. For her. It was the Blu-ray. Yes, it was the Blu-ray. He actually nice. got it for her second birthday. She's four years old now. And um, she shocked the living daylights out of every single person in the room because she I had just started introducing Spider-Man because I have a very good friend who cosplays him. And my daughter opens up her gift and yells out, clear as day, Spec Spidey! And I was like, what? <laughs> That's what? awesome. I haven't even showed it to you yet. How? <laughs> oh, like, okay, here we go. 
And of course, I immediately had to put it in the DVD player, and my child turned into Spider Zombie because she was just glued to the screen, would not move. Little I love it. Little jaw hanging open. <laughs> she she was webbed to the screen. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, oh my god, she ended up her entire bedroom became Spider Man after that. <laughs> I love hearing that. That's so cool. It's never too young to get uh, to get kids into superheroes. They're the best role models out there. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially these days with all the options you have. Right? <laughs> well, I, I mean, where was... was my favorite one. Spider-Man was always one of my absolute favorites. So I'm like, okay, here, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up a 90s kid, so I was a big 90s show fan until I discovered this show. And, and uh, well, you replaced Christopher Daniel Barnes for me there, Josh. That is that is high praise. That is high high praise because I remember when I first uh, when when the show was first about to be announced. Um, you know, when, whenever a new show comes out that's like a that's like a, a big uh, a, a big existing property with a huge fan base, it just gets crapped all over by everybody who is tied to the show that came before it. So when this first looked like it was going to come out, everybody everybody online was like, "Oh, he's going to suck compared to Chris Barnes. Chris Barnes is the only Spider Man." And I mean, I I loved. Chris Barnes as Spidey. I love Dan Gilvezan as Spidey. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely saw a lot of that in in the beginning, and then and then it kind of you know it kind of petered off, and um, and and yeah. And you got to work with both of those guys, correct? I sure did. I sure did. I got to uh, I got to work with them on uh, Spider-Man: Shattered Dimensions, and um, and I actually got to work in the booth with Chris for Edge of Time, and uh, and uh, it was so much fun. He's such such a great guy. Such a great guy. Well, according to the polls and the, and the fan polls and the fan discussion, you and Chris are the two defining Spider-Man voice actors. So when you two came together and teamed up, especially for uh, Edge of Time, I mean, that must have been an event for at least two generations of fans. Oh, absolutely. Beautiful, absolutely. Beautiful thing. It, it really was. It really was. I always thought that that was so epic that they got four different Spider-Man on Shattered Dimensions and then brought you two back. Yeah, it was a really, really cool way of doing it. If I had to change anything in terms of the casting, I would have swapped uh, Chris and, uh, and Gilvezan on Shattered Dimensions because I think I would have loved to have heard Gilvezan's voice on Spider-Man Noir because he's an older guy. Um, I think that just his vocal tone would have lent something to, uh, really special to, uh, to, that, to that whole genre of film noir and and i think that his voice would have been would have been great in there um yeah. not saying that either of them did a bad job in in the ones they were cast in i thought they were both fantastic but that's just my little personal thing i would have i would have said i want you guys to switch and and then now let's see the game yeah that would have been yeah. fun it sure would have been fun and it was a really fun game both of them actually. I enjoyed it. I got I got anxiety on on my level with the the freaking with with Deadpool and the the waves and the, the and then you had to outrun the thing and uh, man. oh god yes sweaty <laughs> palms and uh. flashbacks <laughs> yeah yeah definitely just horrible yeah. flashbacks but fun did, did they at least give you a free game yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. they they usually. They used to be really, and, and when I say they, I mean the industry in general. I don't, I don't I'm not singling out, uh, you know, the publisher of, uh, I'm, I'm not singling out Beanox, but uh, in the beginning, they used to be really good about just, you'd get the game before it even came out. And now, um, so usually you'll get the game. Sometimes you have to ask for it a few times. Um, but most of the time you don't get it before it comes out. You, you get it, you get it when everybody else has it, which is kind of a bummer. That's that, that used to be one of the cool little perks. It's like, ah, sweet. I'm playing this before you, but, uh, you know, as, as long as I get a copy of it, I'm happy. And you also did Spidey in a Marvel versus Capcom three, I think. Yes. Yes. One of, one of my favorites actually, cause I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge fan of fighting games and, um, one of the most fun parts of fighting games is, you know, playing, playing, playing the game with your buddy and just smack talking him right then and there. But um, this way I was able to smack talk in stereo because I'd play Spidey and I'd be yelling out Spidey insults to the person live and also be spamming the moves with the really, really annoying taunts and, uh, and doing it on the screen. So they'd just be like, Spidey, 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 web swing, web swing, swing. And um, they didn't even know what was going on. It was awesome. <laughs> Who's your favorite non-Spidey character to play as in that? I don't even remember. I haven't picked up that game in a couple of years. Um, 
like just kids have completely turned my brain to mush. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember anything. If it was if it's past last week, it's it it might as well have been in a history book. Jeez, and I I say I have mommy brain. We got daddy brain going on. Mommy brain is a thing. It absolutely is. It absolutely yes. is. Greg, you, you can you can attest to that too, right? Uh, I definitely have mommy brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't do games because what happens to me when I play games is uh, you know you spend all that time prepping your character, getting ready, whatever, and then you know I'll walk, I'll you know take the first step and die. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, no, that's all right. You know, it takes a little practice. Go ahead, try again, and I'll try again and instantly die. Um, it's kind of a weird metaphor for life. <laughs> and so I uh, found it too depressing. Um, so I stopped. Uh, I stopped playing games, uh, and uh, I'm a little. You know, my kids are 22 and 19, so I'm a little beyond uh, mommy daddy brain at this stage. I'm more like. Uh, uh, Curmudgeon, old curmudgeon brain is really who. I am. <laughs> See, I've always had curmudgeon brain, but but I think I think the the daddy or mommy brain or what, that it's, parent it's brain is is pushing me into the uh, into the older curmudgeonly. I'm I'm aging so much faster since having kids. It's crazy. It's uh, it's like as soon as the kids popped out, it's like I had a, a jug a jog jug a jog. Sh- I can't even talk, and I speak for a living. I mean, what is it? It's like there's a jog shuttle dial on my life. And as soon as the kids came out, somebody just took that dial and, and moved it all the way to fast forward. And, and everything is just like, what? It's, it's almost the end of 2016 already. What, what the hell is going on? Like, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. My daughter's going to be five next year. And I'm like, slow down, slow down. I'm not ready for you to go to school yet. Let's not talk about this. I found out your daughter was born while I was sitting in the theater with my brother waiting for the midnight premiere of the of the first Avengers movie to start. What were you doing at the theater at... that pregnant? Come he on. Tro- no, I was at the hospital, actually. They oh, wanted me like, to the go. Theater. They wanted me to go to the theater. I'm like, guys, I am like literally three days from my due date. I, <laughs> I can't. And, and Greg swore up and down she was going to be born when the Hulk yelled and I'm like oh my god if that happens I'm going to kill you (laughs) you were a few minutes away from that I know (laughs) (laughs) mommy smash so um, I don't I'm going to demonstrate my curmudgeon brain here let's talk about the damn episode already (laughs) I was about to lead it to that alright anyway um I, this is a pretty remarkable episode we finally Wait, get to. Would we be actually getting on your lawn now, Greg? <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> I am not editing this show at all. <laughs> okay, um, this is a pretty remarkable episode. It, we finally get, after 12 episodes, we finally dive into the origin, and I thought not displaying the origin right away was a smart move, especially since everyone already knows the origin. I agree. I agree. Um, just as, as a, as a fan watching the show, um, I, I think that it had been done a bunch of times already very recently. And, uh, and, and by the time it actually rears its head, by the time you actually see the origin, you've already been with Spidey through so many episodes that you have, uh, a much closer, uh, much closer tie to just who he is, and and so now seeing how he got there is is all that more relevant. So I, I really, I really think that delaying it was was great. It 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 made you it made you feel a lot more for Peter. So all of the things hit you way harder than they would have had it just been shown at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, our feeling was that uh, as you, you guys both said, there's been this little movie with Tobey Maguire that people had seen. And then a second little movie, we were just sort of like, everybody knows Peter Parker's origin. And, and, you know, we have a great main title sequence with the song that sort of gives you a, a, a little taste of the origin. And in episode one, there's a, a quick, really brief flashback when the, when uh, the Connors lab is first brought up where we, we again, see a brief sort of, very abbreviated version of the origin. Um, but the feeling was, on the one hand, 
they knew it. They didn't need to see it again. Um, and we also weren't planning to start Spidey or Pete as a guy who had just become Spider-Man two seconds ago. The idea was that he had become Spider-Man three or four months ago and had spent the summer, sort of how I spent my summer vacation. I was Spider-Man. I've been fighting muggers. It was cool, you know, um, kind of thing. And so we didn't want it to seem like, okay, we're going to start with Peter before he's Spider-Man. We wanted to start with Spider-Man. But the other reason for holding the origin off to episode 12 is that we wanted to feel like we'd earned it. Um, and in particular, I wanted the audience by this time to be just in love uh, with Peter and, and Aunt May uh, in particular. Um, and Aunt May had just had the heart attack, and we wanted the audience to just really care about these two people so that when you meet Uncle Ben and you, and you lose Uncle Ben, the audience feels that loss in a much greater degree because these are characters they've spent 11 and a half episodes falling in love with. Um, at least that was the plan. And given that fact, it allowed us to make it count more, um, make the death of Ben more powerful by not sort of saying, hey, you don't know these this family of three yet? But trust us, when when the dad goes, it's going to hurt. Instead, you knew the two people who had lost Ben. You knew what he meant to them. When you see it, and in particular, um, because I did the dead obvious thing of casting Ed Asner as Uncle Ben, knowing that that voice would give us such tremendous sympathy for the character um, and his wisdom and, and his heart and all that sort of stuff, you know, when you lose Ben then in episode 12, um, that's going to matter. And that was the plan from day one. I mean, basically when I walked in the door in, uh, at the very beginning of production and pitched the whole season to everybody right from day one, I was like, this is where we're going to do the origin episode 12. Nice. And I really enjoyed the casting of Ed Asner as Uncle Ben. I know for a, a lot of Spider-Man fans, they knew Ed Asner previously as J. Jonah Jameson, and I enjoyed his J. Jonah Jameson in the 90s. When I thought of Ed Asner, I thought of Hudson, that sort of fatherly or grandfatherly figure. So when he popped up as Uncle Ben, I'm like, this is perfect. I love this song. Well, I, I saw him as that as well, because um, I actually played his grandson in an educational series of videos called The Jewish Holidays when I was like nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and and he was my grandpa, and uh, and I always like to think of Peter as a little bit Jewish, so you know it it all kind of works out. Yeah, I mean Peter Parker, you know, coming from Stan Lee uh, and to a small extent Jack Kirby. I mean, obviously it's Lee Ditko, but um, particularly the way Stan wrote the dialogue, uh, everything about Peter Parker is Jewish. Everything, except for the stated fact that he's not. Um, and that, you know, they do Christmas episodes, but he's, he is in every other way an assimilated New York Jew. Um, you know what though? Like my dad's an assimilated kid. New York Jew and, and I celebrated Christmas. I mean, it, it, it yeah, happened. I too. You know, <laughs> and, and his angst and everything, you know, his last name doesn't sound Jewish, but who knows what happened at Ellis Island. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is the way Stan wrote the character from day one, that was the nebbishy nerdy Jewish kid who suddenly gets uh, great power and has to learn that great responsibility comes with it. And yeah, besides, it's from Queens. Everyone there is either Jewish or Italian. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> I love this episode so much, especially, you know, doing it through a manner of it being entirely, uh, you know, completely mental, just flowing through memory. It was so beautifully executed. I mean, and even all yeah, the symbolism I mean, with with the black and white, and with you know the the colors for Venom, and and it doesn't all happen until the the color comes back. I mean, it's so so many great little uh, Easter eggs and and thematic uh, treats to to enjoy. It was it was fantastic. Now, one of the things that go ahead, Greg. Um, one of the things that I was you know we had three major influences for the story. Um, one was, of course, the original 
Lee Ditko origin in Amazing Fantasy um, 15. And the other was the first Spider-Man movie, which I thought was a really, had a one really great, well, a bunch of great things, frankly, but one really great thing about the, the origin that I thought was sort of brilliant was there was always this sort of massive coincidence factor in that the one guy that Peter let go uh, at the Ed Sullivan show, um, this one crook that he let go, happens to be the same crook who shows up in Forest Hills, New York, to uh, burgle the Parker home. It seemed like this sort of huge coincidence that we all sort of buy into because by the time we come to Spider-Man, it's a given. Um, and on the one hand, I didn't want to take the route, the kind of route to explain the coincidence, you know, because you want it to be a common crime situation, common criminal. You don't want it to be a supervillain or anything like that, um, because that makes it less universal. And, and again, one of the main things about, we talked about this in previous uh, episodes of this podcast is that Peter Parker is every man. Spider-Man is the hero, is the archetype of the hero as every man. And so you wanted that common criminal aspect. What was great about the movie is Ben isn't killed in the home. Ben is outside waiting for Pete. He thinks Pete's in the library, but Pete's actually gone across the street to, to perform, in essence. And while he's out in the car waiting for Pete to come out of the library, he's carjacked by the guy that Pete let go just a few minutes ago. And so that removes this huge coincidence factor. And so that was something that we borrowed from the film because I wasn't shy about borrowing from any Spider-Man source where I thought something worked better. But the third influence was the play um, Our Town. Um, and if you've seen that play, uh, particularly the last act where they, um, you've got all these characters in a graveyard talking about how you can go back and experience a day in your life again, but they warn Emily not to do it because it'll be very painful because when Emily try, Emily ignores the advice and goes back and experiences this day in the life. Um, and she wants to slow it down because she wants to have time with the people she loves. But the people who are alive, they don't know that this is this precious moment because it's just life to them. And so it all races by. And so what we did here, uh, what we were influenced by was that aspect and also the visual aspect of our town, which is almost always staged with very symbolic sets as opposed to full sets. You know, you've got a window hanging from the ceiling or, or just little elements on an otherwise blank stage. And so that was something I wanted to do as well. And so you get that at the beginning when Peter first wakes up in this dream and he sees Uncle Ben and Ben's like, you got to get to your field trip, kid. And Aunt May's like, you got to get to your field trip, kid. And Pete's like, no, wait, slow down. I want to spend time with you guys. And then he gets to the field trip he wants to slow it down. He wants to try and change history. He wants to try and make it all right. Uh, and it goes on that way until he's bitten. And then we sort of let him fall back into the dream, forgetting that it is a dream. So it's a gradual progression from him knowing that this is not real to him wanting it to be real to him feeling like it's real. Um, and all that was, again, influenced by uh, our town. It was a visually gorgeous episode. The use of color or lack thereof, the boarding, the angles, I mean, the lighting. It was beautiful to look at. And that, and that all came from our town. I've got to go see that play sometime. I have. It's great. You should. Yeah, we, I think we did that. So as soon as Greg said that, I went, oh! But you didn't hear that because I was muted. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. that's great. I didn't yeah. hear anything just now. You have your fan yeah, on again, Zach? Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. 
I said it was great. As soon as Greg said that it was influenced by our town, I was like, oh, I, I know that place. Yep. I, I, was the, I was that guy. But you didn't hear that until just now. I was muted. But anyway, um, Josh, why is this your favorite episode? Well, it's my favorite episode because more than anything, you really get to see what what drove Peter to where he's at now. I mean, you the the show starts with him already having been Spider Man for a little while, um, and I mean, you get to see you get to see a little bit of of how he was under before uh, before anything even happened. And uh, or hold on, I'm I'm totally dad brain. Um, you you get to see the, the most pivotal moment in his life and, and how it, and, and then from there you can go back and now think of all of the other episodes that you've seen with that new information in your head. And, um, I mean, I mean, everything there, there's, there's not just one reason for, for why it's my favorite episode. There's so many, so many things that are, that are story driven and so many things that are just visual driven. Like when, when, uh, when he's just when he's remembering at the end who who all of his friends are and who all the people that love him are and that's the only way to really defeat this this uh, this virus essentially that's that's within him. Um, it's I mean we've we've all gone through a similar type of struggle where where we we are our own worst enemy at times and and a lot of people can never conquer that and where you actually get to go into his head and 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 watch him do it is is it's phenomenal it's it's fascinating to watch and especially because because of the fact that pete's such an everyman and and how how uh, pretty much anybody can can look at aspects of peter parker and find those in their own life uh more than anything that's as as much as it can be a sad episode there's something very inspirational about how it all wraps up i think that's what i love about the fact that in his hardest moments while he was, you know, fighting the symbiote internally, Ben would come in and literally pull him out of the darkness and remind him just as, you know, it, the whole great power, great responsibility. But this seems to, you know, pervade throughout as he keeps coming in, reminding Peter, this is who you are. This is not you talking. And one of my favorite lines in the entire episode was when the spirit of Ben basically tells the symbiote goes just freaking toe to toe with him tells him straight up not you him like he he ain't having it like <laughs> uncle ben is not having any of the symbiote's crap he just he straight up tells tells the symbiote right then and there this is this is peter this is not you yeah and that's great at that i i though also want to give props to this man right here because josh does amazing things in this episode. He plays Peter young. He plays Peter at his current age. He plays Peter angry. He plays Peter doubting. He plays Peter um, fearful for Aunt May. He plays Peter at all these different levels. And then on top of it, in essence, is playing Venom, you know, uh, or uh, Ur Venom, you know, pre-Venom Venom, you know, uh, because he's also the voice of the symbiote until the very last scene when, um, when Eddie, in essence, takes over that voice. And, um, and so Josh is just, it's a tour de force from him. Um, and I, you know, it, it's one of these things where, uh, you know, when we were all fighting over who would get to play uh, uh, Spider-Man and I won the battle that never actually took place. Um you know, it, it it all was like, yeah, we were right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it, it just just does amazing work in that episode. I watched it again last night. I hadn't seen it for you know probably a year or so, um, and uh, just blew me away what Josh did with that part. Oh, thanks, Greg. Completely. I mean, when. A little bit of, of behind the scenes. I'm going to pull back the curtain. When we started this show, there was talk, when do we bring in Josh? When do we, do we invite him? And there was talk, should we invite him now? Now, you know, the first episode, episode four, and I said, no, episode 12. This is the one we have to do, episode 12. For all these reasons, because the series is yours, Josh, but, more ep- but this episode more than any other is yours. I can see that. I can see that. But I'm just a cog in the machine, man. Like, I... I uh... 
the it was it's easy to give a good performance when you're when you're given such great stuff to work with and and that that all goes back to to Greg and company. I mean every, everybody everybody was bringing their A game on on this whole show and and especially this episode. I mean it uh I I I can't take credit for everything. But you brought it to life. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it life. I mean uh, speaking of this episode, there is a question I have to ask because I love this episode. But there's a little bit of criticism out there about how, about some pieces of dialogue that are lifted directly from the first Sam Raimi movie. I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but I was actually just wondering, Greg, uh, what led to that creative choice? Well, you know, I've heard people, or rather read on the Internet, um, people complain about that. And I also lifted a lot of dialogue from Amazing Fantasy fifteen. And no one complained about that. Um, <laughs> the idea was, I, and I get it. You know, it's like, okay, Stan Lee, you're allowed to homage that, but you can't homage uh, a Sam Raimi movie. That's cheating somehow. I'm like, look, you know, from my point of view, again, um, the main inspiration for the series was the uh, '60s comics from Lee and Ditko and Lee and Romita. But we were not shy about bringing in characters like Venom from later in the series. Uh, and, you know, I was perfectly prepared to borrow from Ultimate Spider-Man, from uh, any source that I thought did stuff with the character or with the characters from the Spider-Man corner of the Marvel Universe. Um, that I thought worked with our interpretation. And as I said earlier, um, you know, I really felt that there were great moments in the Sam Raimi movie origin um, for Pete and Spidey. And so I'm like, I'm going to use those. And uh, I wasn't shy about it. I wasn't trying to pretend in some way that I had written that dialogue any more than I was trying to pretend that I came up with the line with great power comes great responsibility. I mean, yeah, you um, lifted that one. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I was, and throughout the series, we borrowed from all over the place. Um, you know, we borrowed the idea of it being a genetic enhanced spider instead of a radioactive spider because it felt, more modern on the one hand and a little more believable. Um, we all kind of know that radioactivity tends to give you cancer more than spider powers. Um, and, uh, and, but who knows what genetics could do. So it just felt like a, a good evolution. So we weren't shy about borrowing from any source. Um, the main influence and the core influence was still those original Lee Ditko and Lee Romita comics. But, um, uh, you know, if, if it worked in the movie, I'd take it from the movie. If it worked from later comics, I'd take it from there. Um, we had free access to that stuff, and so we used it. Um, and I have zero regrets about those choices. And it's a great episode, so I can't, so I don't blame you. I mean, you shouldn't regret anything. And uh, was the, let's see. Uh, real quick, uh, was on some of the visuals, was that specifically done by Cheeks, or was that directed by you, Greg? Like the homage to uh, ASM 100, the certain, looked like certain panels that were lifted right from ASM, or Amazing Fantasy 15? Uh, well, Cheeks, you know, is our designer. He, he didn't board the show, so I forget who the storyboard artist was. The director was Dave Bullock, um, who, who's phenomenally talented guy um from the from an art direction standpoint i should also really give props to joey mason who is our color uh um background stylist and we and Vic and joey and i sat down for a long time on this show uh in particular the black and white sections because i i wanted to get that our town emblematic set um so we kept lifting things from the background, or lifting is the wrong word in this case. We blacked out elements. I wanted to keep simplifying the backgrounds as much as possible so that only the elements you needed to see were visible in the fantasy. Um, so, you know, there'd be a window or Pete's bed or 
but you wouldn't have the full layout of the house, which the audience was already familiar with anyway. Um, we just wanted the door, you know, the elevator that uh, the cat burglar escapes in. Um, you know, we, we wanted to really reduce it down to these pure elements. And uh, Joey was just great at coordinating all that and, and creatively making it all work. Um, and uh, obviously all the designs were uh, Sean's, or uh, Sean Galloway's chiefs. But uh, the boarding, the direction, um, credit for that really goes to Dave Bullock and Vic. And the design work, there were a lot of people involved, but the art direction of the episode, I really want to credit Joey Mason for, because he really did an amazing job on that. One touch in the script that I noticed, although I didn't notice it originally, it was long after season two finished, and I watched this show again. There was a brief line when Spidey calls the, refers to the burglar as the cat burglar. Now, I never caught that during the first few viewings, because I'm used to the killer being just referred to as the burglar. But then after having watched the series and knowing who uh, the cat burglar is and going back and seeing it there, I'm thinking, you just gave it away there and nobody noticed. Well, that was, that's my thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I, I try to plant seeds and, you know, we, even in terms of the color of the character's hair, um, you know, we wanted to have that white hair uh, that um, would connect that character up to a certain other character. Uh, I guess I can say Black Cat. Um, and, you know, there were, again, when you've got 40-plus years of Spider-Man continuity, many editors, many writers, many, many artists, you, you'll find that, you know, sometimes multiple characters exist that basically serve the same function, and so we began to look for things that we could connect up the way. And sometimes it was as simple as the word cat or, um, you know, the word silver between silver sable and silver mane. Uh, um, I mean, uh, yeah, silver mane. And, but we looked for these things that we could connect up and planned ahead for them. Um, and we'd introduced black cat already uh, a couple episodes previous, and um, so now it was sort of time to uh, begin to lay a little bit more groundwork for what we were coming. And there was a question posed to me at one point, um, do we really want this burglar to have white hair since Uncle Ben has white hair? Is there a risk of confusion? And I felt first off that um, Cheeks' designs were distinct enough that that wasn't really going to be an issue, but also it was like, yeah, no, he's got to have the white hair because we know what's coming. Um, but we also put that cap on him so that we weren't flagging it, you know. Um, we wanted it to be subtle, which it was. <laughs> so, yeah. And the, uh, and the black and white really helped also because he wouldn't necessarily focus too much on the hair color. Right. So that, that worked out pretty well for us, I think. And it allowed for a great, you know, a setup for a great moment in season two as well. So, um, Looking forward to getting to that one. Yeah, I was just going to make a comment on the writing of this, especially, you know, as anyone who has ever experienced serious loss. When you come back to, you know, this episode where Peter's questioning the what is, could I change this? Can I make it stop? Can I change it to where we can still be a family? I mean, everybody who's ever experienced serious loss goes back to the what ifs, the maybes, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, but never did. And I thought that was just beautifully executed in this episode. Well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it's a, we wanted it to matter. We wanted this episode to matter. You know, on one level, all this is, I suppose, is a fight between the symbiote and Pete. But this was an opportunity for us, instead of just making it a battle about a bell or fire or whatever, that this would be a battle of the soul. And so it would play into all of 
Spidey's pain and all of Pete's regrets. And, and, you know, in essence, what happens here is that the symbiote makes this huge miscalculation. In other words, Peter is rebelling. And um, the symbiote thinks, I'm going to show him why he needs me by taking him back to the worst moment of his life, breaking him down so that he feels like all he can do is reach out to me, which is how he ended the first, uh, I mean, the second act, is that Peter is broken and having realized that he let the burglar go that killed Uncle Ben, um, he is surrendering. But this was a huge miscalculation on the symbiote's part because in resurrecting the memory of Ben, the memory of Ben, as, as Josh pointed out earlier, isn't going to stand for this shit. And he takes the symbiote down, basically, or enables Peter to. Um, and you sort of wonder if the symbiote had made a different choice about how to demonstrate to Peter what would have happened. Would it have gone the, could it have gone the other way? Um, but he made the mistake of resurrecting Ben, in essence. I got goosebumps just hearing that. I said he, but really the symbiote is she. I, I shouldn't have said he. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah, Simbi. <laughs> well, actually, uh, that was established in uh, um, comics. Spider-Girl actually called it a she. Yeah. Worst breakup ever. <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling that had we gotten season three, Gwen and Harry's might have been even worse than that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He says they would have broke up. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach you to go falling in love. <laughs> oh! Uh, we're horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really bad. None of us ever claimed to be good. You <laughs> know, it's okay. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a. Uh, I was talking with uh, Jennifer L. Anderson earlier on. Uh, she wished that she could have joined us, but she had to work. And at one point, we were talking about Tombstone's bodyguards. And this is the last time they appear. She said at one point that if I think she said she suggested to you that if one of Tombstone's bodyguards, the woman had ever gotten a voice, Gina Torres is her pick. <laughs> you know, Gina Torres is great. Um, you know, there's certain characters that I like to keep silent. Um, so it's not like I was ever sitting there going, hmm, I wonder who should be the voice of that character. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we'll talk about Hammerhead's chauffeur more later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, but, um, let's, I got a question. Um who was, because uh, I know Greg probably lifted those characters from the comics, but who were those two characters? Because I didn't recognize them. Greg? Who was what? Uh, Tombstone's bodyguards. Who were they? Were they? Uh, you know, we did. We lifted from the comics for every name character. Um, we made a real effort to do that. Uh, but for characters that were that generic, we didn't um, necessarily do that. And it's really a tribute to Sean Galloway that two characters that in the script probably were just bodyguard one and bodyguard two, um, going back to, you know, their first appearance. Um, it, it's one of these things where Sean did such a great job at designing them that you feel like, ooh, they must have their own stories too. Because they've got no dialogue. <laughs> other than grunts and stuff like that. Um, and yet they're interesting because they look cool and you're just sort of like, hmm, I wonder who those two are. And uh, that's really a tribute to Sean's design sensibility, that even um, something as generic as Tombstone's bodyguard um, is incredibly interesting because he's designed them to be interesting. 
And we've got, and also, this is a great tombstone moment here. I love that despite everything, he's still willing to work with Spider-Man, even offers him a deal, not don't fight crime for one week. But he, even then throws in, okay, okay, if a supervillain dangerous public safety, go right ahead. I mean, he's practical. I like my villains like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tombstone was a lot of fun. Um, it's great to have, and, you know, I'm a big fan of pragmatic villains and villains who, um, see the bigger picture and don't get bogged down with, with petty concerns. I mean, there are characters you want to be petty, like Rhino. Um, and then there are characters that you don't. And, um, so, you know, Tombstone being smart and sophisticated, um, and not his own worst enemy as I think a lot of cartoon villains end up being, um, is, you know, obviously a lot of fun to write. And it's a great moment because you've seen Peter reject that job offer before. So when he actually goes to solicit it, you can see how far gone he is. And then how about some props to Joshua Labar for that one great Flash Thompson scene? Oh, God, yeah. Yes. Uh, That was awesome. You know, Josh was so good in that show both with his goofy laugh and, and being the obnoxious side of Flash Thompson, but also being able to turn that on a dime to be the guy who you realize down the line is going to be, you know, um, an authentic hero in his own right and one of Pete's best friends. Um, and just that sort of brutal honesty that he hands Pete there which he couches in terms um, of hostility, but in fact it's clear he's trying very hard to do Pete a favor, to sort of wake him up to how he's acting. Uh, So he calls Pete a jerk and all this sort of stuff, but the fact of the matter is, is that he is actually trying to help Peter out there. It's not like he just ran into Pete at school and had that conversation. He's at the hospital. He's sought Peter out. And he's doing it not to be obnoxious, but to do the guy a favor in the only kind of language he knows how to use. And Josh uh, Labar and Josh Keaton are just fantastic in that scene. I love that scene. Um, Because the exchange between them is just so perfect. Um, And, you know, we just had a fantastic cast on this show in general. So uh, Deborah Strang as Aunt May is is terrific. I love the scene where Pete's like, Aunt May, you just had a heart attack. She's like, oh, a little one, you know? (laughs) Um, Much like my grandmother, I started laughing. (laughs) And Deborah's phenomenal. um, And, uh, uh, you know, Gwen, Lacey Chabert is just heartbreaking uh, as Gwen in that role in the scene. And there's another great scene I really love between Lacey and Vanessa, Gwen and um, Mary Jane, um, where you really see them for the first time truly becoming friends and Mary Jane sort of giving uh, her some really good advice. Um, which won't pay off here in this episode, but pays off later. And uh, you just sort of see that Mary Jane really gets people. She can look at people and immediately sort of size them up and realize what they're about in a way that Peter doesn't. Peter's smart about a whole lot of things, but Mary Jane's smart about people. And, uh-huh. uh, and, and of course, it's that great line at the end, like, He's like, if you're expecting him to do it, well, he's not going to, because after all, he's still a guy, you know, <laughs> which basically is shorthand for he's still an idiot. Uh, <laughs> one know, guy uh, can vouch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think every guy on the show can vouch. Yep. As the oh, only yeah. female I can agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, they're just, uh, I mean, it, it sounds very uh, disingenuous because I wrote the damn thing, I know, but the fact is is that I I think the writing's, I'm proud of it and everything like that, but what I love about 
all these little moments in the episode um, is just the way this great cast and uh, our great production team brought all that to life. You know, um, when you write the scripts for things like this, you're basically just doing one big finger cross, like, well, I hope this works. I think it'll work. hope it works. And, uh, and then, you know, you get great performers like we have on the show. And you have all these sort of little jewel-like scenes throughout the episode. One thing I did appreciate was having Gwen ask, where's the other spider? Since that just to me was like, oh yeah, definitely that Kirsten Dunst was playing a mixture of Mary Jane and Gwen in that movie. So <laughs> I really appreciated that personally. Well, I mean, you've, I've said this before. I mean, my opinion is, is she's only playing Gwen. She says tiger a couple times and her hair's red. <laughs> Personality-wise, and I'm not knocking it. I think she does a great job at it. But the character is Mary Jane largely in name only. Yeah. Um, and I guess in the fact that she becomes an actress. And, uh, That's perfect. But, uh, you know, there are little things that sort of pay lip service to her being Mary Jane like calling her Mary Jane, I suppose. But um, <laughs> uh, but in essence, from a personality standpoint, that character is Gwen Stacy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, the irony is, is that you get to the third movie where you introduce Gwen Stacy and she's behaving like Mary Jane. Yeah. She's blonde and she's called Gwen, but she's behaving like Mary Jane. And you're like, okay, I don't And And what, just in case there wasn't enough irony in the whole setup, you've got a blonde actress, Kirsten Dunst, dyeing her hair red to play Mary Jane, and you've got a redheaded actress um, dyeing her hair blonde to play Gwen. It's sort of like... I, <laughs> so that's down. hilarious. Dallas Bryce Howard, yeah. Ugh. Are there any other questions about this episode from anyone in the room? I'm good. I'm good too, Kristen. I'm all set, guys. Yeah, anything to promote? <laughs> I am currently voicing Shiro on Voltron Legendary Defender, which is on Netflix right now. And uh, it's a it's a pretty sweet show. Um, I am also King Graham in the King's Quest series that's, uh, that's available on pretty much, I think, every console right now. And uh, I'm doing some stuff on DC Girls. I'm, I'm the Flash and uh, and Green Lantern in, in that. Nice. Yeah. Huh. Is it Hal Jordan again? Uh, a, a younger, uh, immature, more immature one, but uh, yes. So you enjoy playing him even more? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to be so uh, uh, so so straight laced. <laughs> there you go, Mr. Wiseman. Uh, I've got the same things to pimp that I've been pimping month after month. Uh, I'm working on Shimmer and Shine. Season two of Shimmer and Shine uh, is out. My first episode aired last Wednesday. Um, and uh, it's a preschool show, so it may not be for everyone in your audience, but if you've got kids, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I it's watched in it. our household. Oh, watched in mine all the time. <laughs> it, it will be watched in my household. Um, and uh, then there are my novels, Reign of the Ghosts and Spirits of Action Home, which are both out and available on Amazon or at bookstores, and the Reign of the Ghost audio play, which Josh Keaton is a member of the cast of. Uh, it's a full cast audio play uh, that includes Ed Asner, Vanessa Marshall, some of the people, uh, Steve Bloom, that we've talked about uh, today are in the cast, um, and uh, it's available at gumroad.com slash Reign of the Ghosts, um, and it's basically full unabridged version of the novel with a full cast of 20 actors playing 30 roles, a full musical score and sound effects. It's like a four-hour movie in your head. Um, so I would love for people to check that out. Um, and my new novel, uh, World of Warcraft Traveler, uh, is out this November. And so I hope Wait, people you... will uh, pre-order that. You wrote a WoW, a WoW uh, canon novel? I did, yeah. I'm That's like, I'm working. I just awesome. started working on the second one. 
That is, I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to read this like ASAP because I was uh, pretty obsessed with World of Warcraft for a number of years and uh, lost a lot of my life to the game. But uh, I'm very familiar <laughs> with the lore and I love it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that pretty much happened. But uh, oh yeah, I'm super excited to hear that. Hey, so well then then you would know this character, Greg. I I'm also the voice of Anduin Rin, um, the 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 Prince of Stormwind. I'm having a moment. This- very cool. <laughs> Very cool. So we kind of in a roundabout way work together on, on World of Warcraft. Sort of, kind of. That's sort neat. Kinda. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. The things you learn by being I'm, on the show. I'm so good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Is there going to be more uh, Reign of the Ghost novels, Greg? Yeah, uh, you know, the problem is I've got to earn a living. Um, so uh, I am started researching the third book and have had to temporarily put it aside to write these World of Warcraft novels because they actually pay. Um, uh, and uh, I don't have the bandwidth to write two novels simultaneously while holding down a full-time job on Shimmer and Shine. So um, Sleep's overrated. <laughs> you take that so, back. <laughs> oh, come on. Every parent learns how to live without sleep. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's not just sleep, it's just literally, I mean, because I get very little of that anyway, but it's hours in the day, I just don't have, it really, it's not even hours in the day or sleep, what it really is, is that the mind is going, and uh, there's just only so much I can hold in my head at any given time these days, so uh, at the moment, uh, Mask of Bones, which is the third rain book, is, is on hold while I write this uh this trilogy of uh, Warcraft books. And uh, don't forget the Sinistory. <laughs> yeah, Gargoyle Sinistory uh, is available for pre-order. It's the uh, uh, pilot, the five-part pilot of Gargoyles uh, uh, in comic book form, um, which uh, I did an editorial pass on to make sure it's as good a version of that kind of thing as there can be. And we're hoping it does well. We're hoping that it leads to uh, new and original Gargoyle stories in comic book form. Mm-hmm. Well, we will be promoting all of these uh, projects on our front page of spider-2.com. All right. And now, take two. Thank you both for coming on. I really appreciate it. Josh, thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. And, and I'm always down for any excuse to, uh, to hang out with Greg again. So thanks for, <laughs> uh, for making that happen. Um, we'll twist your arm pleasure. again. Then. <laughs> Sweet. I look forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Greg, thank you as usual for constantly doing this. <laughs> Happy to do it. All right, and uh, we'll see you all next month with Venom. Ooh. Ooh. With great power, there must also come great responsibility. Pretty words. But what good do they do? We still went to the venue. We still let the cat burglar go. He came down to take this car and took Ben away from us. From him, not you.